welcome to yet another episode of the Dicer Screaming Podcast. Oh, wow. That sounded like a distress call. <laughs> As well it should be. Oh, well, yes, it is a distress call, because you can expect no less from... <laughs> the twice-taunted twice. English Knights oh. of Gaming Podcasts. That's right. <laughs> taunted a second time. We are taunted a second time. <laughs> yes, it, it's true, and uh, yeah, that's very timely for our topic tonight. Oh, yeah, coming at you, it's uh, another week here in... Spooktober, and uh, yeah, we're well behind on our any of our spooky stuff, but I think there's enough happening oh, in real life to be spooky oh, all on its own. It's coming, though. Uh, you know, we, we, we've got some spooky-related, uh, you know, more Halloween-appropriate, but we'll, we'll let that wait until we get a little closer to the holiday proper. Yeah, so, who is that who suggested that? Was that? I would like to give out a little thank you to James Brown. Well, okay, not the James Brown, although we would definitely give a shout-out to James yeah, Brown. Yeah, I would totally thank the other James Brown as well, because, you know, I feel good. Like you know that I should. True, true. Uh, now, that having been said, uh, thanks so much for the great ideas, because it, it was absolutely true. Uh, the commentary on Facebook uh, asking about, you know, perhaps doing a lycanthropy episode, and I think that's incredibly timely. So, uh, we have not done a proper lycanthropy episode per se. Now, we have brushed up against lycanthropes and classic monster tropes, but we have not really dedicatedly gone after just the topic of all lycanthropy. Yes. And, you know, in the various iterations of the game, there's an awful lot of that to cover. So I, I think that's going to be an episode with some real meat on the bones. Oh, no pun intended. <laughs> uh, right after we chew it off. <laughs> yeah, right on. So, okay. Um, yeah, I'd like to, if we're going to give out some shout-outs, I'd like to go yeah. with uh, Mosey the DM on Twitter. You know, uh, following us, as well as Everybody Crits Podcast and From a Bar Podcast. Everybody Crits Sometimes. Mm-hmm. Also the Drunken Rebels Podcast and Nick Brook. And Nick Brook doing uh, Jepine, the author of uh, A Rough Guide to Glamour. Oh. Moon Broth. Yes. He's known on Twitter. So, yeah, a lot of stuff going on with Chaosium and RuneQuest, so that's going to be our topic tonight. Not necessarily RuneQuest, though. We're going to save that for another time. Uh, got oh, some no. nice topics. No, and... no. We, we've we've struck upon RuneQuest, uh, you know, recently. And uh, and if you go back a ways further, uh, you know, of course, we, we hit the main game. Uh, but they've they've done some amazing stuff there, and we'll be catching up with some more RuneQuest yeah, related it's, it's material nice later. That I, for years, I mean, I, I think that's the first RuneQuest module I bought in thirty years. Really? Yeah. Yeah. This this these last two on Pegasus Plateau and uh, Tales in the Smoking Ruins. So okay, so uh, <laughs> the Smoking Ruins. What is somebody visiting my house? Yeah. True. <laughs> All right, so uh, without further ado, we got some Collins. Jason giving us some Collins, so we're going to turn right over to that. So take it away, Jason. Hey guys, thank you so much for defending um, Van Helsing. I definitely don't begrudge anybody any movie they like. I mean, I, I like Basket Case, so I pretty much have no legs to stand on. And if you've seen that movie, you know what I'm saying. Anyhow, um, yeah, it's it's fine. I think part of my issue with Van Helsing was the CGI. Because I'm a big practical effects guy, and the CGI at that point just wasn't that great. Let's be honest. 
But that doesn't take anything away from it. And I probably should revisit the movie and give it another chance, to be fair. So, yeah, it, it's definitely not the worst horror movie or the worst movie with those characters in that I've ever seen. There's no question about that. So, I'll I'll revisit it at some point. Um, Captain Kronos, great movie, of course. Classic movie. Anything Carolyn Monroe's classic, but wonderful movie. I, I ran a game based on Captain Kronos one time. I used Barbarians Lamori to run it. Um, great movie. Hey, guys. Sorry for breaking up multiple messages. Um, you know, I got to think about some more, and I'm somewhat a fan of the Howling series, and I quite enjoy Howling 2, Your Sister's a Werewolf, and Howling 2 is, on every level, objectively a worse movie than Van Helsing, so I definitely don't have any room to speak on. <laughs> Anyhow, um, as far as gangbusters go, great episode. We never used it to play any alternate genres, but that, that you had some great ideas there at the end, and yeah, gangbusters is one of those games that I think I played all the TSR games back in the day. You know, I think I had all of them. And I really like that they all use slightly different systems and all. You know, Top Secret and Gangbusters, Star Frontiers, Boot Hill, yada, you know, all of them. Um, anyhow, but thank you for covering it. Really like Gangbusters. I'm going to have to break that back out. And um, unfortunately, the people I know want to play Gangbusters BX instead of the original. But but who knows? I, I, I think people want to play Gangbusters BX because it's... The new shiny as opposed to, you know, superior original system. But actually, Mark Hunt did a good job with Gangbusters BX. I don't know if you looked at it, but if you are going to adapt it to that BX rule set, I, I think he did a pretty good job doing it. But all that said, um, I appreciate your covering it, and I look forward to your next episode. Take care. All right, and thank you, Jason, for that call-in. Yeah, challenge uh, withdrawn. Well, all right, that wasn't our goal. Uh, hey, you know, your mileage may vary with very many movies. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, probably the I... bottom of the barrel would be there is nothing worse than that first Dungeons and Dragons movie. I, I'm sorry. Okay. You probably yeah. somebody's going to come out and say, "Oh, I really like that movie." Well, uh, I pity you. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> I uh, I had to sit through that, and I uh, shook your head the entire time. I just, yeah. What I mean, like, wow, a 90 minute face palm. <laughs> I didn't even think it was possible. Yeah, and then I watched, had to watch it with another group of friends and another group of friends, and then somebody treated me to the movie. So I ended up watching it four times, and I was just horrified by the fourth time I wanted to really hurt myself. It was like your Manos Hands of Fate, you know, moment. Just Yeah, you know, Manos Hands without the MST3K riff track going on, yeah, it's unwatchable. Um, no, I, I admit I was not too keen on that one either. That uh, if we're going bad fantasy movies, I, you know... There's a perfect example of a huge budget still not being able to save the day. Uh, just a disaster of a yeah. film. Um, there's been a couple people from Wizards of the Coast that's given their opinion about the, uh, that film, and I'm right <laughs> there with them. Yeah, you, I sat in stunned silence afterwards. We went out to lunch after seeing that, and man... When you think of all the things that it could have been, and to have missed the boat that badly, by that wide of a margin. Yeah, that, you had the actor that played uh, in Rocky Horror Picture, the, uh, what was it, the henchman? I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Oh, uh, Richard, uh, who played, well, he was also, I believe, uh, the writer, uh, you know, who played uh, the butler. Yes. 
Uh, it was riffraff. Riffraff. Thank you. Thank you. You're hurt my brain thinking. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, they had that actor, and they couldn't do nothing with him. So, you know, Tom Baker is an elf. Okay, I mean, yeah, that happened. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, even he couldn't, uh, you know, pull something out of that. But anyway, no, no, no. Uh, yeah, let, let's. Uh, leave that theatrical pain behind, you know. We'll cover that another time. Good to hear somebody else has seen Captain Kronos. Uh, yeah, that Captain, is awesome. Yeah, Captain Kronos. Uh, yeah, yeah, we can be friends now. Because um, <laughs> that is a yeah. hello deep cut. Yeah, that's a deep cut. Yeah, like I don't even throw out like we can't be friends if you don't know that movie because it is a deep cut, man. You really you you got to be on the inside crowd for that one. That that's up there in rarity with like Sergeant Kabuki Man. You know? Oh, Sergeant Kabuki Not a lot of people man. know these mm. these tidbits. Yeah, true, true. I have to I have to withdraw that. And then. <laughs> so, but yeah, we're still gonna be friends, uh, no matter what, how you feel about uh, my thoughts on Van Helsing. Yeah, okay, not a great movie, but it's okay. Not, not a I had a lot of fun movie. with it, like we said. But um, your yeah. take on uh, the Howling right there with you, Jason, and also yeah. uh, love the first. I enjoyed the second. After the third, I was just kind of like, eh. And I never really watched all of the fourth. I caught a clip of it on, like, cable one night, and I watched a little bit and went, man, I kind of miss the old days. You know, just made me want to go watch Howling 1 again. Because that was great. I you would say it's good. Uh, the effects were uh, really good. I mean, yeah. as far as I'm concerned, from that era, and you'll probably have some contention from somebody on this one. But oh, sure. The thing for me is probably the best visual effects from that entire era. Oh, wow. All you right. Know, so good much one. latex and uh, just wiggly stuff going on. And man, that, was a, that movie creeped me out. And that was a young age to see. Hello, Jello. Ooh. Yeah, the chest scene, you know, just like the chest opens up as a mon bites the doctor's hands off. Good gravy. Ugh. That was a horrific scene of just absolute Lovecraftian magnificence. Uh, well, yeah, and I mean, if you were, you know, like 10 or 11, if you were a little badger at the time, that was just, whoa! <laughs> Yow! Yikes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, okay, trauma aside, we're going to go back to the gangbusters, which is also what you mentioned. So oh, covering a lot yeah. of ground in your... Uh, Colin, so sorry we took some ramble-ons. Um, yeah, Gangbusters, glad you like it. Uh, the BNX I'm not as familiar with, um, but uh, I'm pretty sure that they did a good job. Uh, Mark Hunt's a pretty uh, sharp cat, so don't imagine that he in any way, shape, or form he disappointed. Uh, yeah, you could use the BNX. I mean, it's just a uh, die 20-plus, whatever, in different categories of saving throws and all that, but... There's ah. a lot of fun that can be had in Gangbusters just playing basically codified cops and robbers with a little bit more uh, flavor, I guess, is one way to look at uh, Gangbusters. But it's a good, uh, it's, it's one of those overlooked games because it's a genre. Like you said, there's a lot of genre games like Star Frontiers and others that they're really good games and they make they make for a lot of distraction from your normal D&D game, but it was still TSR. And, man, you know, we forget that TSR was pumping out some cool crap back then. Oh, man, were they? I, like, you just ran the gamut there in just a few seconds. You nailed a whole bunch of, like, classic early TSR product. That, yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, I always am ashamed at how often I forget uh, Star Frontiers. Yeah, Star Frontiers is a great one. Uh, oh. Uh, but also, let's not oh, cut short on uh, Boot Hill and some of the others, but 
I think another uh, time we should talk about pace setter games was uh, Star Ace and uh, Chill. We've mentioned Chill before. Yes, no we have. But they had a couple other ones. Uh, time was it Time Lords or Time Masters? I think it's Time Masters. Hmm. But we should talk about that. Uh, that's one of those uh, deep cuts that only a few gamers will get, but the ones who get it will appreciate it probably. So once again, yeah, thanks a lot, Jason. And uh, yeah, don't worry. Uh, <laughs> if we ever differ on movie tastes or music, it's purely personal. It's not anything where I have well, a great... It's not our hill to die on, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I like so much weird stuff. And sometimes Mike's taking me to task on liking really bad movies um, that I probably shouldn't be wasting my time oh, on this earth watching. But look, I... I always find some humor in them. Okay, the, the kimono is going to open here for this one. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, yeah, close the eyes of the children. Oh. Cover the ears of the uh, the more impressionable. Uh, and, you know, uh, the faint of heart may step away from the, the audio for a while. No, uh, the, the kimono opens for this. One of my all-time favorite movies. Uh was a complete 80s stinker of a B-movie. Um, Blood-sucking pharaohs in Pittsburgh. Oh, hey. No, yeah, it a is a monumentally bad B-grade movie that like devotes itself to making one terrific, outstanding moment of comedy right at the end. Builds to it all the way through the movie. Ah, not going to spoil it for you. Just going to say that uh, for those who have seen it, uh, Anubis says, let the girl go. Yeah, it did seem to just... All you need to know is that like the whole movie was for that. And I love it unashamedly. So like Mr. Hoity-toity, film critic-y guy, hey, I come off the pedestal now and again. Mm. <laughs> you can too, man. I'm not gonna. I'm oh not gonna well, I, the the stuff I love is from the '70s satanic exploitation uh, movie. Oh. I really, you know, I feel like that's my guilty pleasure. Where I get uh, there's some just terrible, terrible uh, films that uh, have almost no redeeming value, except for that you might actually catch one or two on MST3K. Oh, which my, I'm a big fan of. So. My other favorite were the uh, natural horror movies that they used to make back in the 70s where you know, like it was Piranha or uh, Killer Bees. You know, Killer <laughs> Bee movies. Because I, I had a phobia about stinging insects when I was a kid. So, you know, like the rest of the world is watching Freddy Krueger. and like, oh, it's so scary. He kills you in your dreams. And everybody's all freaked out. Or, you know, like it's uh, Jason, you know, Voris, you know, stalking people and, you know, serial killers in the woods at the summer camp. You know, everybody was watching that stuff, and I just couldn't get into it. I couldn't, I didn't feel anything. However, I watched a killer B-movie, and I sat there with, like, a hand covering one eye and, like, you know, cracking the fingers open, like, oh, oh, God, I got him, you know. And I totally got horror movies from that moment forward. So, yeah, it weird quirks, man takes all kinds to make a world it does zero shame zero shame in the game all right well we're gonna take a quick break and be right back with our main topic so thanks again jason and keep those calls coming in folks and we're back so thanks a lot for sticking around 
All right, after our little sponsor there, we're back to, uh, I think election day is just coming around the corner here, so just remember. Just a few weeks, yeah. I doesn't mean, matter who you're voting for, get out and vote, make your voice heard. That's why we're uh, putting it on our podcast, is we want everybody to have a chance to get their voices heard, and here's your time for it. Yeah, but, I mean, it is uh, every citizen's right, and in many respects, it is every citizen's duty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, I participate because I believe I don't always agree with pretty much anything from anybody. So I, I don't Contrarian. Really, yeah, I, I'm guilty as charged. I'd be like, I have a glowering hatred that it encompasses the entirety of modern politics uh, because almost everything is too simple or, you know, it made to appear simple when it in fact is complex and deserves more study. But that having been said, I get in the ring and I do my duty uh, every time, like it or not. So, yep. Uh, all right. Then now that having been said, yeah, we got trying topic. to steer that back uh, on to topic. I was going to make a little inference of bring you the ointment of topics. Mm. Okay, topical ointment. I get it. <laughs> I see what you did there. All right. So. The Tom's topical ointment. Okay, that too. <laughs> All right, so anyway, I was going to try to steer this into something about yeah. monarchical or, uh, you know, a process of choosing uh, kings by watery charts lobbing scimitars out of ponds, but... It's no way to base a government. No, it isn't. And, but in speaking of that, we're going to talk about Pendragon, the role-playing game, and the Arthurian lore. Now, there's a lot of Arthurian lore... Uh, that leads up to this, and includes the film Excalibur. Now, there's been a lot of film adaptations, including oh, the musical Camelot and a couple others, but and some of the other stuff that's been done. Monty Python the and the Holy Grail. Yep, there another one. That's uh, why. Well, just for fun, you know. But uh, yeah, there have been countless movies and a host of books. Oh my goodness, uh, the field is rife. Uh, it's a beloved collection. So, you know, what better to base gaming on? Right, and so uh, just this week, the Adventure of the Great Hunt uh, for the Pendragon 6th Edition preview with the Quick Start Rules was released by Chaosium. You can go to their website and download it at uh, chaosium.com. Greg Stafford and David Larkins. Yeah, this is uh, his, I believe, the second anniversary It's of his uh, passing. So this is a celebration of we are all us, one of his things that he wanted to do. And this is their commemoration of its founder, and uh, this was Greg's magnum opus. So this is a sneak peek of the 6th edition. And if you're familiar with Pendragon, it is one of the great games. The great uh, Pendragon campaign is probably the penultimate of role-playing experience. I definitely, when I did Death Watch, wanted to recapture the Arthurian tales of a group of great heroes banded together by oath and ceremony to venture forth across the ruins of the 40K galaxy and set things straight. Unfortunately, it's way too grimdark for that. But yeah, yeah here it is. Right. You know, it doesn't translate particularly well because the Arthurian legends are full of hope. Yes. <laughs> Warhammer 40K is not famous for its vast abundance of hopefulness. But Pendragon's one of my favorite games because just the narrative of you know, dark brooding forests and wild untamed highlands and tours with its strange monoliths from an elder time, as well as the halls full of roaring fires and roasting meats, where great feasts and magnificent celebrations are taking place, and knights in armor, and complete 
unashamed an historical anachronisms. And I, as student of history, fully embrace it because you're running around in plate mail in third and perhaps fifth century Britain, and that's not even a thing. But we yeah. don't even care. And let's clear that up right from the get-go. Uh, the both of us absolutely know that the timeline is entirely wrong for the kind of uh, equipment that is popularized oftentimes both in fiction and in uh, film. So, yes, uh, historically speaking, if you're going back to, you know, like just like the age of iron, uh, you're talking about guys running around in, at best, ring mail. Uh, you know, yep. the heavy ring mail coat. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, the sophistication that has developed in the popularized mythology is completely off base. Now, does that have anything to do with having a fun game? No, it doesn't. Because and so we both come down on the same side of yeah. this, which is uh, if you're creating something that is intended to be a fantastical, uh, bring the mythology to life, uh, and in fact make it larger than life, and then let the players roam free in it, uh, as long as fantasy has already taken the helm, uh, there's no reason to stick to absolutisms, okay? that It seems almost silly to be hung up on... Yeah, and just like that. the literature and the movie Excalibur... They didn't have air until the year 1237. You know, no, no, no. Have fun. Yeah, it's an age imagined. It's an age of what could have been. And so the Pendragon just completely... Dis discards any tropes of or trappings of historical accuracy and just goes with our imagination of Sir Arthur de la Mort, or excuse me, Sir Thomas Mallory's Arthur de la Mort, yes. uh, the Crystal Cave and the Once and Future King. Oh, the yeah. Crystal Cave was by uh, Mary Stewart. Mary Stewart and the Once and Future King by T.H. White. All great Arthurian literature that completely discards well, let, any let, historical accuracy. Let's but, start with uh, Arthur de la Mort. You know, the All right, but I would like to get on to oh, talking uh, well, about... Let's talk about Pendragon. Yeah, uh, just Pendragon here. This new addition uh, is a sneak peek, so not a lot has changed, but uh, I would encourage you to download it. Um, there are some player character samples there, and, uh, of course, you have your squires. Squires deserve names, so just give me your squire name um, and not call him uh, Chumbly. <clears throat> But anyway, Greg started his work on this about uh, new edition about ten years ago, and it's gone through multiple developmental phases, developmental phases, and is it they say uh, ready for its public debut here in twenty twenty one? So this is his ultimate edition, his magnum opus, as he called Pendragon. So this is the changes and modifications he had to the original game. It's been through four edition, five editions, so this will be its sixth. Uh, I. Personally, like the fourth edition more probably than I should have, but that's a different uh, topic for another day. So as it says, let us win glory for our king who will reward us with honors and lands and devil take the hindermost. So as we launch into the literature, you were going to talk about? Uh, Lamar to Arthur, which okay. uh, lovingly, because it was one of the very first books that I read that covered the Arthurian legends. I really knew very little about, uh, you know, Arthurian legend when I was about nine. Yeah, oh yeah, that's uh, a heck of a time to be reading Arthur I, de la Moore. I, 
had a terrible habit of reading anything and everything that I could get my hands on, whether it was age-appropriate or not. Mm -hmm. uh, I really didn't care. Yeah. And I loved it. Um, it was so much better than so much of the other literature I had read uh, because so much of what I was reading was really kid-oriented and required no work to digest. Uh, and then you stumble across something like, you know, this wonderful piece of living history, uh, Le Morte d'Arthur, which obviously it was translated to English or I wouldn't have been able to make any sense of it. But incredible uh, journey through uh, the Knights of the Round Table one by mm -hmm. one, uh, you know, the, the feats and accomplishments, the, the romances and betrayals, uh, the... Well, I mean, if you look at the writing of George R.R. R. Martin, you can see how heavily influenced he was. Yeah, you talk uh, about uh, the antecedents uh, following through all the way through Tolkien and Howard. If you, yeah, uh, they all. If and you like, think that Howard didn't have any Arthurian oh, tones to it, come oh. fight me. I'll show you uh, Phoenix and the Sword as his uh, opener oh. right there. As uh, the king suffers, so does the land yeah. right out of... Uh. Uh, Oh, Mallory's in, Arthur de la Morte. Enormous uh, homages exist towards Mallory's Lamarck to Arthur. Uh, they're everywhere. And Token, the return of the king, the same. Even things outside the realm of traditional fantasy, where you know we, we speak of fantastical writing or of historical fiction writing, even things that move completely beyond that and into other genres still throw in nods to Arthurian legend. And it's all owed to Thomas Mallory. Yeah, Sir Thomas Mallory, about the 1500s, he wrote and compiled this. He was somewhat of a colorful figure of his times. Um, you can fall down that rabbit hole if you want. But I'm not going to judge him. He was, uh, I guess he was convicted of banditry. <laughs> but uh, he managed to keep his knighthood intact. And the, fi the funny thing about that is, I noticed that when he had combat or warfare, it was... Well, it was detailed, but it was mostly like an Arthur's knights came onto the enemy and they overcame them. It was quickly done. But when it came to jousting... <laughs> Lavish descriptions. Yeah, he would talk about the type of, you know, it was a feisty chauncer or rounder. Or, you know, he would describe the horse and the type of lance. You know, a thick one would, would not suffice for this uh, joust. No, Lancelot selected the slender lance because it was quick and agile and able to slip past his opponent's defenses and all this. And so you've seen that what he was doing was a sense that uh, just like the Arthurian knights where they set aside their savagery and barbarism and became more civilized, giving mercy was seen as a virtue. Because if you went around killing everyone, well, you know... You very quickly run out of experienced leaders for your soldiers and your peasantry. Because the, the backbone of your uh, you know, pre-medieval army may have indeed been uh, the you know, peasant rabble that you conscript. However, the people leading them, you really, really needed to hang on to as many of those knights and nobles as possible, or it becomes nearly impossible to manage an army of any size uh, in that feudal era, because the the organization, the effective sergeants and lieutenants and captains would have been that cream of the crop, those those nobles who were trained for war, and that's also your tacticians, your your people who 
you know, have the stiff upper lip and can keep going in adversity. Uh, wasting them in personal trivial disputes. And in, vendettas. Yeah, in vendettas uh, was a drain. So right, and... The chivalry that emerged out of that era yeah, can rather, mostly be owed to a certain creeping conservative. Like, we can't afford to lose this many people, you know? Nah, right, and uh, in that, giving mercy was seen as more than just a prudish kind of virtue. It had a practical edge as well, as Mike just outlaid, but laid out before us as you were. <clears throat> Pardon me. And then uh, pushing forward with a narrative that as you face your opponents in combat, sometimes just by virtue of being on differing sides of an issue, you would face a knight of worth or character that just because of the odds of your a rivalry doesn't mean you have to kill everyone. And you would not want to kill somebody worthy of respect. And, you know, after defeating them, you've proven your right to rule or reign over them. And then now you incorporate them. You fully proven that might is on not just a ends of just ends to a means, but it is justice as well that is being meted out. And sometimes mercy is more appropriate than raw vengeance. So the fights, the jousting in Mallory, who was a jousting enthusiast, is kind of akin to a sports nerd. You know, he just was like into everything, describing the shields and the type of armor that they used. Now, mind you, all of this was pretty fanciful because here is a man in the 15th century uh, tying together a collection of disparate tales, some of whom reach back to the Bronze Age. Uh, tidbits. Yeah. Thereof. Now, the, the later embellishments and things like that came you know, into the, the Iron Age, but uh, it took place in the 1500s that... Thomas Mallory finally committed all of this to paper in its first true published form that people can consider uh, a recognizable collection. Now, there's a lot of drift from, oh, yeah. from the origins of Arthurian legend. Uh, yeah, Lancelot's his temptations almost read like a comedy, almost like Benny Hill. You know, yeah. He's always being tempted by these maidens, and you know, <laughs> he doesn't give in to them. Uh, he, and it almost sometimes becomes comical. <laughs> the, they, these women are throwing themselves at you know this uh, strapping, handsome knight of great renown and virtue, and he just you know nope, nope, nope. My heart is for another, and I'm good. You know, and there's the <laughs> tragedy of the Round Table right there. Its seeds were sown in the inception of the marriage of Arthur and Guinevere, because well, Merlin, you know, once again trying to tell warn everybody, please do not take prophecy lightly. I'm trying to help you guys not stop and stop some of these tragedies from happening. True love is something not to mess with. Oh, and uh, Guinevere know, and Lancelot's true love. My my take on Merlin is that like there's always that guy who said, "Don't do that. That's a terrible idea." And what do people do? They do that. They do that. That exact thing. Well, why not? Don't do the thing because I told you not to. Well, that what does that mean? How often am I wrong? But. I led you wrong before? No, but you might. Yeah, okay, fine. And then, yeah, the tragedy <laughs> happens. So, And also Merlin is a great character, which turns us to the next one, The Crystal Cave. Oh, yeah. A wonderful book by Mary Stewart. Uh, that was 
one of the greats. Now, uh, it begins with his childhood, yep. uh, giving him a much more mortal heritage uh, at the time when the Romans occupied Britain, and it follows through his learning of magic, which is a far more subtle thing in Mary Stuart's, uh, you know, Camelot uh, era. It is a much more, you know, holistic, uh, you know, druidic, pagan, uh, you know, process. Mm -hmm. And, you know, much more a thing of the mind and of the spirit that uh, an awareness of, of other things. Then it follows along to his eventual uh, role as advisor to kings. Uh, and, of course, ultimately, you know, his not-quite-demise, but, uh, you know, the eventual repose. But along the way, uh, it brushes up against all of the traditional uh, familiar characters from the Mort d'Arthur. Yeah, it's more focused. It sounds like it's more focused. I haven't read the book, so it sounds like it's more focused on just Merlin, which has been uh, the focus of a lot of stuff. I mean, there was a TV show series, I think, called Merlin and a couple others uh, that have attempted to tell the tale from Merlin's side of things. Oh, uh, yeah. with uh, I believe that one had Anthony Stewart Head uh, in the, the series as well. Oh, okay. Uh, that, the, the televised one that you're speaking of. Very popular. And anybody who doesn't love, you know, Anthony Stewart Head is, you know, just wow. I mean, man, it takes a serious level of discontent to dislike his acting. Uh, I thought he was fantastic. Well, now, yeah, and that kind of leads me, I guess, to my favorite version of Merlin is Nicole Williamson's version, which uh, is in Excalibur, which, yeah, that's just completely... And it, oh, look, I mean, it may not have, it, it very much in the tradition of uh, Pendragon the game, uh, the movie Excalibur is also, you know, out of sync with historical accuracy and all of that. But the guy who played Merlin was terrific. Uh, that was... Nicole. Oh, yeah. A dream to some. A nightmare unto others. Yes, uh, that guy. <laughs> yeah, that was a uh, very uh, touching moment there. Very stirring. And, of course, the use of the operatic musics of Wagner, along with others, Ovotona. <sighs> Man, there's just so much uh, music. They, he did, they didn't really make an original score. It's that they borrowed from classical themes, much like the Arthurian myth itself, which has yeah. it seeped itself in. I mean, it's in the deities and demigods for crying out loud. So that should tell you right there that the Arthurian legend and myth is deeply tied into our psyche as the epitome of knightly virtue, of the struggles of man versus magic, and the relationships of a ever-changing world. Oh, yeah. But, uh... <laughs> ah. Hubris... Uh, again, much as you see in Greek myths, uh, plays a huge part in Arthurian myths mm -hmm. uh, amongst the Knights of the Round Table and, of course, with the principal characters in the Arthurian dynasty family. You know, yeah, was... uh, kind of history repeats itself. Oh, the yeah. same kind of mistakes, uh, pride, overweening lust, you know, avarice. Uh, those downsides of the human character uh, always seem to rear their ugly head and wipe out uh, what was otherwise 
going just perfectly. You know, it's just all of a sudden, uh, by their own hand, they rise to greatness, and then they want too much, and their reach exceeds their grasp, and it all comes tumbling down. You know, and it, just that wonderful recurring human myth uh, that transcends any one locale. Uh, and I think terrific. that's what Stafford was shooting for when he started the Pendragon uh, game. I, the, I played uh, the box, which I think is the first one. And I wasn't too impressed because you ended up rolling your characteristic of your virtues versus your uh, sin or your lusts. And so your player character may, or your character would sometimes come out of your control. You don't want them to do that. Well, you know, they're compelled by their passions and their vices. And so you have to roll against them to defeat them. And so it was a unique characteristic, but it was one that later I would come to appreciate as a deeper understanding of... Oh, there's some quality RP time. Right, okay. that you're really having to transcend off of what you want to do versus what your character wants to do. Ah. And as a knight, just like in those tales, you're compelled by your passions and your vices. And some knights are very virtuous and very close to their vice or their passions. And some are much closer to their vices. Even if they profess not to be, you may be a little lustful or gluttonous <laughs> than you like. But those give you powers and advantages when they're properly invoked. I desire an entire keg of ale and an, a haunch of roast ox. All right, Sir Boris. <laughs> Um, Sir Bulbus. Yeah. And so, <laughs> well, you know, a few too many meals like that, and his name is Circumference. Yep. <laughs> I thought you were going to go for that one. You beat me to it. So, yeah. So, uh, but that brings us to the next literary one, and we'll get back into the game in a minute. The and excellent T.H. White. The Once in Future King. Now, he wrote this after President Kennedy's presidency was ended. And for him, it was a bittersweet moment because a lot of people called that era in American politics Camelot. And it marked the beginning of an end, or the potential. So much like Arthur de L'Amour, tragedy begat the crisis of the times, and a man rose to it, and for many was almost deified. A cult of personality, uh, much akin to Arthur, was a kind of been put on to... Uh, President Kennedy after his assassination, um, which is a tragedy in and of itself. But that oh, is yeah. where the analogy ends right there. We're not going to go far with that. We're going to talk about the book. And the book is pretty much uh, Arthur de L'Amour modern, and it's full of great stuff. It um, starts with uh, Arthur as wart and goes all the way to him and the king and, of course, having to kill his bastard son begetted by illegitimate sorcery and uh an incestuous relationship to yeah, well, his half sister yeah the half sister yeah morgana lefay yeah. yeah and and mordred the child of that union yeah and his regret at having to slay his son and uh that brings us again back to the uh, movie excalibur where i think the end game of the end scenes of him and arthur and uh mordred Fighting and of course, mutual destruction ends with both of them dying. But of course, Arthur cannot die after having drank from the Holy Grail from the chalice. He cannot truly die, but his wound was dire indeed, and so he had to be sequestered off, just like at the end of Arthur de la More, to an island uh, to await the time when he would be needed yet again. 
Yeah. Ah, a beautiful, beautiful thing. Ah, you know, classic mythmaking. Yeah, and uh, the one from the future king is a little bit more uh, focused than Sir Thomas Mallory's uh, version. But, of course, you know, there's, what, three, almost 400 years between the two authors. So I think it's unique that somebody retook the Arthurian myth. And, of course... Uh, We'd be remiss if we didn't mention the Disney and Monty Python. Uh, the Disney, uh, the sword and the stone, which, okay, yeah, you can say yeah. what you want about it. Uh, it's not necessarily great Arthurian myth making, but it is an homage and it's a nod to the classic with a little bit of musicality added, as Disney always does. So say oh, what you want about sure. that. But, but uh, great fun for the kids and a terrific introduction to Arthurian mythos. Uh, right. It gets which just, I think, it, you know, it's hilarious that, like, I, I saw that uh, long after I had read uh, Lamarck to Arthur, uh, which was quite the opposite of other people, you know. Yeah. So I had read the serious stuff. Ah, and then, you know, like, amusing movie comes along, and I'm like, oh, well, that's neat. I love it. That That's just like the stuff in the books. Ah, you know, there was less singing in the book, I recall. But, <laughs> you know, it, it is what it is. The sorceress duel between our, uh, Merlin and uh, Morgana. <laughs> uh, far more comical. Yeah, but that's the way it is. But, but very funny. And then, of course, speaking of humor, you can do no better than... The quest for the Holy Grail. And boy, that's just some uh, fun stuff. Right <laughs> we ride the, the coattails of that. Truly, we lived in an age of comedic giants. Yes. Okay. Uh, it <laughs> I want a shrubbery. And they call me Tim. <laughs> yeah, so much stuff goes around that. And, you know, oh, we do. No, uh, that, that is a geek rite of passage. I mean, if you, you know. We who dare wield the term nerd uh, with pride uh, must undergo a rite of passage. And watch uh, the quest for the Holy Grail. Quest for the Holy Grail, Monty Python. Uh, that, worth your time. Uh, I'm sure almost everyone listening to this has already seen it, but uh, if there is somebody who by some chance has not, you should at least collect it as an opportunity to know a bunch of new references. Uh, yeah, and especially since the ending, you know, we'll just spoil alert. Uh, the ending, they get arrested. So. <laughs> so they're also not appearing in this film. Um, and that brings us to Excalibur. The last part here I want to touch upon is the culmination of all of the myth making of uh, the Arthurian myth. Uh, I think John Borman's Excalibur stands well above some of the others. And yes, we did mention Sword in the Stone because, well, Besides just being a Disney film, it's like Mike said, it's a great introduction. But John Borman's, I think, is it may be a little rushed, okay, at parts. Uh, you know, okay, so Arthur's king, and now he's, yeah, there's stuff happening. And then, oh, then they're on the quest for the grail. So, yeah, it's a really hard movie to encapsulate in just one showing and especially in just under 90 minutes. Yeah, I, I was about to say the constraints of time way super heavy i mean imagine trying to have done you know, like the entirety of the lord of the rings in an hour and a half uh just impossible you wind up cutting out like 90 plus percent of the material uh and what's left seems a little disjointed yeah still made a good movie 
Okay, not... Yeah, definitely a, a visual feast. It's a spectacle. And, you know, if you're already well-versed into it, you'll enjoy it. If you're a historical nitpicker, yeah, you're not going to enjoy it. You're uh, in for a rough ride then, yeah. I yeah, mean, well, they, the geeks, you know, they would be naked at the time and barely wearing, you know, hides. You know, these guys around here would, you know, okay, yeah, fine, great. There were eight people in the Isles of Britain at the time, including the Utes and the Irish and the Welsh. And, you know, you would have to encompass all that where, like in the books, you know, they were taken in. Uh, Guinevere was Welsh. Yeah. The North, wasn't they, the Northumbrians? Which certainly explains that name. Yeah. Uh, never was an area or never was a region of England more in desperate need of a bowel movement. And they also think that Arthur was uh, an allegory of Alfred the Great, the only English king to truly have that title. True. Was because not he, doled out lightly. Yeah, his like has not been seen since, as is, so saith his uh, statue, the honorific. Well, let's wrap it up with uh, a return to Pendragon the game. I want to talk about the quality of even the online release here, uh, The Great Hunt. Now, the 6th edition rules preview and the mini module contained within. Uh, beautiful presentation, okay? It's done like illuminated medieval manuscript, uh, complete with tiny illustrations of fantastical creatures and like yeah, animals uh, and you know <laughs> winding briars and ivy uh, a rabbit blowing a horn uh. <laughs> and crazy medieval creatures of chimerical description like yeah the head of a serpent on some type of hooped beast yeah that's crazy stuff that's a giraffe what ah no, but okay, yeah. So you need to go into that. I, yeah, it, it's wonderfully true to the era and the format. I mean, just to, to be doing a Arthurian legend based game, and then to have this as your uh, illuminated pages is terrific presentation. So I'm, I'm just going to throw out an A plus for that alone. Yeah, there's Margelina and the Margelina, you know. Marginalia. Thank you. Yeah, my goodness. And, and Trust the, the bibliophile. Yes, and uh, in the corners as well, which help uh, break down some of the rules, like squires are handy assistants and may even save your life, and they deserve a name. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I love that part. <laughs> oh, but... And see, like, uh, Sir Ector is featured in this uh, module, which, of course, you are, or this adventure, which you are going to go for a great hunt to uh, find a panther to pacify a dragon. Because in medieval lore, the breath of a panther could calm a dragon. Yes. Now, uh, not to give too much away. Right. Uh, but, you know, I mean, dragon afoot in the land creating trouble. Uh, assembled knights must uh, undertake this quest. And I'd, they're pretty clear in the DM's notes section that should the players be recalcitrant uh, about following the course laid out for them by... The suggestion by uh, their yeah. host, Sir Savals, as going out and get, going on a great hunt as Sir Ector will go out himself, which we remember Sir Ector raised King Arthur from an infant, and he's in this one. He's, he's still virile, but he's old. 
and he needs aid, so you need to aid him. So this is an introduction rather than the end result of slaying a dragon. Yeah, this is meant for novice, novice characters in this new uh, outing of the Pendragon uh, game. So, you know, your newly arrived, freshly hatched <laughs> young knights are not supposed to be like... Uh, well, let's just say that, like, there's a Tim the Sorcerer... I told you. <laughs> oh, no, you wouldn't listen, would you? No, no. Nobody listens to me. Uh, you know, yeah. so they, the characters are well warned that the goal, the path to defeating the dragon, is to uh, get the breath of a panther. Uh, that the apparently the belch of a panther. Uh, Which smells a, like allspice. A, a contented belt or belch from a panther uh, will uh, pacify a dragon which is why dragons are so averse to uh, panther burps. I I have no explanation for this. It's a medieval... Apparently a lot of ergot got into the rye back in those days. Yeah and yeah. so you know it's it's pure medieval English fantasy and if you balk at that maybe okay this isn't an outing for you but it Put your suspension of disbelief aside and adventure in a new realm that challenges your preconceptions. So magic in this is much like you said in the Crystal Cave. It's much more subtle. It's potions, it's enchantments, it's items and swords and rings and occasionally shields and armor. Yeah, the, but it the is, art of the charm and the glamour. But it is subtle. It's, but its presence is very powerful. And some of the animals, yes, you may say, like, well, the breath of a panther, that just sounds like pure silliness. Okay, well, again, just like with historical accuracy, set aside some of your preconceptions. Hey, and in fairness to the fine folks uh, at Chaosium and uh, the writers for Pendragon, uh, this particular module... Uh, bears a lot of hallmarks drawn directly from actual medieval literature. So, yeah. uh, as silly as it may be, it is in fact historically uh, more accurate in this respect than it is with regard to the game mechanics of some of the armor and weaponry. Uh, so, <laughs> I gotta hand it to them. Uh, whatever their deficits in realism, uh, they have more than made up for it in having shown that they did their homework. Okay, the, they went back to the original materials uh, and to, you know, medieval legendary, and they really tapped from the well. And I'm just terrifically impressed by that. Yeah, because you're going to find throughout uh, Pendragon, you're going to find a lot of medieval beasts where they went through the old medieval manuscripts of bestiaries and catalogs of creatures and just drudged up the crazy, bizarre stuff. Like you said, a lot of ergo in the rye. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which uh, uh for those not in the know um you know it's uh a uh ergot growth in rye uh created a kind of under the right circumstances created an lsd like effect uh and it is in fact the basis for lysergic acid uh so you know periodically medieval people would have bad rye bread with uh ergot in it and well <laughs> Next thing you know, they're plagued by demons. Yeah, and you Do know. Do you see the size of that chicken? You know. And uh, the rewards aren't just treasure, 
although that is also something you're going to find. You're not just going into a stronghold and killing everybody inside. You're going... Uh, oh, well, sure. I mean, there's war. There's rules. There's a lot of war making in Pendragon, to be true. And uh, you're going to need to uh, besiege many castles and go after things. But there's no none of the kicking the door in and killing the orc and taking its loot and moving yeah, on. Yeah, it's room. quite a different system, okay? There are very different expectations on adventuring knights. So much like the Death Watch thing where you're playing these overpowered superhumans. In this one, you're playing really well-armored, skilled combatants. So I guess, yes, superhumans as well. And... Uh, you know, sometimes you are going to feel nigh invulnerable fighting a bunch of angry uh, Saxons in yeah. their hall, and you're just not going to take a whole lot of damage, and you're going to be like, ah, I can take on anything, and then you're going to meet a knight on a black destrier wearing black armor, and he's going to bar your path, and you're not going to cut his limbs off. He's going to cut your limbs off. <laughs> uh, it'll be you going... Just a flesh Do wound. be aware of the Black Knight in this game. I'm just going to tell you, he's <laughs> nobody to laugh at. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, the wonderful thing about the Pendragon game is not uh, something simply mechanical that is unique or anything like that. It's that such painstaking effort has been made to bring to life a time and a place. Now, I know that as we've mentioned before, the armor and mm -hmm. weaponry thing is, you know, a little off base. Uh, and of course, magic is afoot here. Uh, but if you leave that aside for a moment, there are a lot of other ways in which the classic mythology of that time and place uh, have been shown enormous respect. They have just been uh, homaged uh, lovingly in the Pendragon game. So uh, kudos to Chaosium. They have just really uh, done a splendid job, and I know Greg Stafford would have been just tickled pink to see it released. We wish he were here to see it. Yeah. But he's still with us in spirit, if not in flesh. So Well, he certainly left behind an amazing body of work, so no shame in his game either. Right on. But uh, that'll bring us to a close on our wrap-up of Pendragon and Arthurian myth. So we hope you enjoyed. We also talked a lot about the... Uh, we skipped around a little bit on the uh, movie. We didn't really give a thorough reference to it. But, yeah, it looms large. But, yeah, uh, it's something that uh, I think people can track down on their own. You know, right. And, certainly uh, gets a recommendation from us. I think the books as well. Uh, good touch on the Crystal Cave. I have not really... I do. Wish I had more time to do something better than a highlight of it. Uh, well, yeah, it, but you know, it's one of those books where you could almost devote half an, oh, or an entire episode well, just on. You know, it um, was a series. Uh, I mean, oh, the Crystal yeah. Cave was the first book, so you know, I mean, oh, perhaps yes. someday we should uh, in a, on uh, an appendix n point seven five. Yeah, wherever you know, we're at, I'll, I'll uh, break out uh, the entire discussion worthy on. Uh, Mary Stewart, because remarkable author. Yeah, but we're going to leave with this little quote on the back cover. And it says, inside you'll find everything you need to play a six-page quick start version of the rules, pre-generated characters, and a scenario that sets sees the knight set off on a month-long hunt, racing against time to save the life of a great noble knight and defeat an infernal dragon ravaging the countryside. Only they will find salvation lies not in steel and brawn, but in the gentle belch of a panther. So there you go. 
in yeah. a nutshell. So Panther burps for the win. That's right. Who saw that coming? I Nobody. Didn't. Well, welcome medievalist bestiaries. Yep. Crazy. <laughs> but all right, so uh, we're going to shove off on that. And again, shout outs to all our friends on Twitter and Facebook. Keep those likes and comments coming. We really love oh, it. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, shout out to uh, Todd McKenzie as well. Yeah. Uh, and on Facebook as hey, well Todd. as James Brown. And James Brown, yeah. All right, you know, gonna leave that one alone. And uh, also, uh, just as a reminder, uh, we just hit twelve thousand listens. Oh overall. wow! So that's really great. We should do something cool when we hit fifteen. Sure, like a big uh, giveaway. Yeah, we should you do know, some like giveaways. a like a lottery style, like we did last time. Yeah. So, well, if you enjoyed our podcast and enjoyed what we were talking about, uh, please, you know, subscribe to our. Anchor app, and if you don't have Anchor app, you'll download it. It's real easy to put your voice and out on the interwebs and get your message out. And also to all our friends around uh, the interwebs who just keep giving us those likes. So keep it up, folks. And again, we'll bid you adieu, but may, may the, the dice always roll in your favor. favor. We're out. See ya. See ya.